0: Rocky Peak, it's great to be with you. Uh, my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here at the church at Rocky Peak. And again, if it's your very first time, you're new here. I want to welcome you. Whether you're joining us, uh, whether you're joining us from locally here in Southern California, or maybe it's across the states or even around the world, we're just so excited that you're uh, you're with us. Now today, we are going to have a very special service plan for you. We're going to be continuing this conversation that we started last week about Jesus. Uh, racism, and the kingdom of reconciliation. But uh, before we jump in and I invite our guests out to continue that conversation, uh, I want to begin by just laying some biblical foundation in the word. And so there on your note sheet, if you have it, there's a section called The Kingdom of Reconciliation, Jesus and the Law of Love. Now, if you're a regular here at Rocky Peak, you know this, we talk about it all the time, that when Jesus came, when he was often asked, hey, what's most important to God? What's the most important thing we're going to do if we follow you, that he would would say, hey, you need to love God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, who's actually quoting from Deuteronomy chapter six. And he said, you, then you need to, uh, the second top priority is you would love your neighbor as yourself, quoting from Leviticus 19. Now, Jesus was uh, uh, would often teach on this. Uh, and one of the times that he taught on it is was in um, was uh, Luke chapter 10 and so I'm sure that many of you are probably familiar with this passage it's a very famous passage of teaching and so what happened is that when Jesus uh, Jesus was teaching and someone in the crowd he's actually a religious leader uh, said hey Jesus uh, of all the things most important in the law what's most important what do I need to do to inherit eternal life now as a Jew in the first century he wasn't asking what do i need to do to go to heaven when i die he was asking hey you're here announcing this kingdom of god that's very near uh what do i need to do to be part of that kingdom and jesus said well you have the word like what does it tell you and he's obviously been listening to jesus teaching and he says you well, are supposed to love god with all your heart love your neighbors yourself jesus said yes that's right just do that and you will be a part of the coming kingdom but he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to set some boundaries, some parameters. Who is my neighbor? Is that like two doors down? Is that four doors down? Is that to the end of the cul-de-sac? He wanted to set some kind of parameters around that. When can I stop loving people? And in response to that, Jesus said, well, let me tell you a story. And he told one of the most famous stories in all the Bible. My guess is you may be very familiar with it. We call it the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, if you're not familiar with it, I encourage you to check out Luke chapter 10 that reference is there in your note sheet. But it's a very simple story. And it went something like this. Once upon a time, there was a man and he was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, a very treacherous route. They said on the way he was waylaid by some bandits, some robbers who beat him and stripped him of of all his possessions and left him by the side of the road for dead. And Jesus said after he was stripped that uh, two religious guys, two religious leaders uh, came down one by one on this trail, saw him and didn't reach out and help him in any way. But fortunately there was a third man and this man came along and he saw him in need lying by the side of the road And he went over, he bandaged his wounds, he put him on his donkey, he took him to the closest Motel 6, he gave him the credit card and said, hey, I'll be back in two weeks, any charges, charge it to me. And so then Jesus said to this this religious leader who had asked him the question, who's my neighbor? So which man was the neighbor? Which one lived the life of love? And of course the answer was obvious, it's the third man but here's what we often miss in that story is that, the, that Jesus intentionally made the hero of the story, the third man, a Samaritan. Now, if you're not familiar with this, there was a deep and long standing racial and religious uh, uh, issue between Jews and Samaritans. In fact, this week, if you do your summer study, you'll see that, that the uh, Jews did not associate with Samaritans. And yet Jesus intentionally made the hero of the story, not a Jewish man, but a hated Samaritan. And so what Jesus was saying is that this is what it looks like to live a life of love. It's not just to to love your friends or those like you, it's to cross these boundaries that separate us from one another as human beings. And to live a life of love and cross over racial religious boundaries and love those, Uh, that God brings into our path regardless of their past. And so what we see in this story is once again, Jesus is casting vision for his kingdom of reconciliation. He's coming to break down barriers. So that's the topic on the table again today. We wanna tackle this important topic so current in our culture right now of Jesus, racism, and the kingdom of reconciliation. So what we're gonna to do today is we're gonna continue the conversation we started last weekend. I've invited uh, six of my friends here from Rocky Peak, people I know, love, trust, amazing followers of Jesus, who love God and love people, but who happen to be African-American, happen to be black, to come and share part of their journey with us. Now, I want to be super clear here at the start, I can feel some of you getting nervous already, that this is not, uh, we're not getting political today. We're not even getting sociological today. We're We're not asking questions, hey, where does racism come from? How extensive is it in our culture? What are the solutions? We're here just to take the first step we talked about last week. Last week, if you were here, we said, hey, how do we move the ball forward? We said the first step is to listen and learn. And that's what our goal is today. Now, I've invited these six friends because this issue of racial justice for black people in our culture is the hot topic on the table right now. It's causing all these issues to emerge in our culture. But the reality is that if, uh, if you live here in America, we know that racism isn't an issue just for blacks and white that this is an issue that we all deal with. You, you, may have, you may have dealt with this in your own life. Maybe you're a minority, but you're not African-American. Maybe you're a white person. You grew up in an in a all-minority neighborhood, and you had to deal with it from that angle. And so the issues that we're gonna be looking at today, we're looking at them through the eyes of our African-American brothers and sisters because that's the crisis in our culture right now. But of course, the principles are gonna go much bigger than that. And so here's what we're going to be doing. I'm going to be calling them out in just a second. uh, And we're going to be introducing them. We're going to have some prayer. And then we're going to jump into this discussion. But I want to say one last thing before we we go into this time of uh, conversation. Is that um, I want you to know that uh, as your pastor, um, someone you know, you love, you respect, you've followed a leadership... But I want you to know that I understand this topic is a controversial one in our culture right now. But I also want you to know that the reason we're addressing it is not just because it's a hot topic on the table in our culture, that it goes very much deeper than that. This is something that I felt very much God was calling us to address and to have this conversation. I could tell, I, I don't use those words lightly, I could tell you where I was standing, what day of the week, and exactly what I was doing when I felt like the Lord spoke and said, this is what we need to do. And so I wanna invite you to come with me on a journey. As you know, the the rule that I live by is listen and follow. It's what we talk about all the time here at Rocky Peak. This is why we're having this conversation because I believe that God wants to unleash some new waves of reconciliation In and through us as his followers. And so I'm going to encourage you, even if this conversation makes you a little nervous, even if you're not sure exactly what to think about it, I want to encourage you to join me on this journey today. That you would be, as we talked about last week from the book of James, that you would be quick to listen, you'd be slow to speak, slow to become angry, and that together, we would listen and follow to, uh, together today as we listen to our brothers and sisters of, in, in Christ. Uh, you know, there's a, there's, a beautiful, there's, there's a beautiful passage of scripture. In fact, it's there on your note sheet in Galatians chapter six and verse two, and it says we're to carry or bear one another's burdens. He says, because in in this way you fulfill the law of Christ, this this law of loving your neighbor as yourself. But the reality is we cannot bear another's burdens if we don't know what their burdens are. And so today we have a beautiful uh, opportunity as followers of Jesus to come around some of our brothers and sisters here at Rocky Peak, just as they share their life story, some of their experiences with us, that we could grow in wisdom and together we could build a community, a kingdom of reconciliation. So let's pray together. As I pray, I'm gonna invite them to come out and we'll be ready to go. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful that we can be here together in your name underneath your leadership as a church. And though I've often said that we're physically distant right now, spiritually we're connected. And Lord, today you've called us into a very important conversation that we would listen to some brothers and sisters to learn from them, and that we would receive a vision from you of what your kingdom is all about. And so we pray today, I just pray for each of them that you would give them great freedom in their words, that you would bring things to mind to share, whether it's a word, whether it's illustration, that we would easily be in the flow. Your Holy Spirit would be on them and over them. You would hover over this place and we have a beautiful kingdom conversation. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Hey, well, welcome to Joy. Thank you so much for joining us today and uh, to our empty worship center. Um, but uh, trust me, there's a lot of people uh, watching at home, and it's so good to have you here. So what I'm going to do is I'm gonna start off just by introducing you briefly, just kind of what our relationship has been like over the years, and then I'm gonna come back and ask you to share a little bit just about your story, uh, kind of where you're from, uh, what you do for a living, a little bit of your spiritual journey. So uh, let's start down, down here at the end. This is uh, John Bentley. Uh, John is a good friend of mine. We've been friends for many years. We first met, I believe, in a life group, like many years ago, maybe seven or eight years ago. He and his wife, Michelle, were in that uh, group, and so we've journeyed together. Uh, you may recognize John because uh, he has often done some spoken words, some sort of dramatic uh, recitations or recitations or, or uh, the kind of readings here, and, uh, and, and it's been a gift to us. So, John, so good to have you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate yeah. it. I appreciate
1: you. <laughs> Well, I us to get up here and uh, share our hearts today, especially with the congregation. Um, my name is John Bentley. Uh, I'm an actor out here in L.A. Um, my mom and dad are both from the South, Nashville and Alabama. Uh, I grew up in kind of a Christian home where my mom was, you know, on it. My dad was a believer but just didn't go to church. Um, later in life, after my mom passed, he became a deacon and just on his deathbed, was bringing the pastors and the deacons over to uh, pray for them. So uh, I've had quite a journey. Uh, my aunts and uncles are all educators, as well as my mother. Um, they um, marched uh, with Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, part of the demonstrations in SNCC, and so I was brought up under a, a family of educators. And you know, uh, this is a very um, opportune moment to be able to speak and help educate and to share my heart. So. I appreciate you having me.
0: So good to have you, John. Yeah. So now this is Frankie, Frankie Augustine. And uh, Frankie and I really connected via email several years ago, really a long time ago now, um, uh, over these kinds of issues. I'd often be teaching on this kind of an issue, maybe racism or something, whatever. And so uh, she would begin to email me. And she's, she's become a good friend, a friend of Lynn and mine. Uh, we've been at her place. She's been at our place. And, uh, so Frankie, it's so good to have you here. She's served in our kids ministry as, as well. Um, but Frankie, just maybe a little bit of kind of where you grew up. John, I don't know if we caught, did we, did you say you grew up in Chicago? Did you, did you mention that? it? Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: So I don't know if I said it. I grew up in Chicago. Right. Uh, and then went to school, uh, at 17 in, at the university of Minnesota.
0: Right. And you played ball there. You played, played football, football there. there. Yeah. yeah. What, what position? I was a receiver. Yeah, okay, there you go. There Back you go. then, yeah. I was a, yeah. <laughs> receiver. <laughs> okay, so Frankie, yeah, share a little bit, you know, where you grew up, your background, uh, maybe a little of your spiritual journey, what you do for a living.
2: Okay, my name is Frankie Augustine, and I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, and um, grew up in a very legalistic religious household, so that it wasn't really about, it was never really about relationship, it was really about religion. Um, and so part of my spiritual journey is uh, living in fear of God uh, for a lot of years. And it wasn't until I was, um, college was done and I was working, I was an administrator when someone at work started to minister to me about his relationship with God mm. and um, said that, to me that God is my ultimate father. You didn't grow up with the father, but he is your ultimate father. And that's really what started my, my, my journey. Mm. Um, and so um, I work as a professor at Cal State Northridge. And like you said, I served in the kids' ministry when we were serving together um, with the one-year-olds.
0: Now, when did you move to California? You grew up in Boston, when did you move out here? I
2: moved here when I was about almost 16 years old.
0: Okay, great. Right. Maybe we'll get into that later on, but that's, okay. that's great. Okay. Next we have Derek and Crystal Hendricks. Um, good friends. A lot of you probably have seen them uh, That serving around the campus. Uh, they've, they've been very involved in like first, first impressions ministry. Um, they've led life groups together. Derek actually serves currently as uh, one of our elders too. He's been an elder for several years and been a great gift to us that way. So Derek, share a little bit of your story and
3: yeah, so um, I'm a native Californian, uh, been here in the San Fernando Valley most of my life. Um, the home that I grew up in, uh, there was really no God in it. Uh, my, my mom was considered a non-believer. Uh, it wasn't until uh, I met Crystal that she introduced me to 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 Christ uh, and our first Going to church wasn't a a very good experience, but uh, we got through it. Uh, After we got married, uh, I think it was probably six or seven years, I think we were married. Uh, Our life, our marriage, our finances were going in a downward spiral. Uh, To get away from it all, I- It was kind of
0: a disaster, wasn't it? Yeah, it was was (laughs) close to a natural
3: disaster. We talked about this,
0: yeah, it was a a nightmare, yeah. Yeah,
3: uh, so to get away, I, I joined the military and uh, that's where I found Jesus, Mm -hmm. and uh, it's been great ever since.
0: Yeah, and how long have you you been married? It's like 32 Uh, It'll
3: be 33 years this August.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 33 years. And then what do you do for a living, too?
3: Uh, So I I do architectural acoustics, so I deal with the industry, designing studios, sound stages, sound edit rooms.
0: Great, very good. Crystal.
4: Hi, I'm Crystal, Mm -hmm. Um, born and raised here in L.A. Um, basically my history, as far as spiritual, I've been, uh, raised knowing the Lord. I sort of kind of strayed away until my college years and then, uh, sort of kind of thought, I gotta, gotta get back on track and, uh, went back to, uh, being more into focusing in on what it really meant to follow Christ.
0: That's great. Mm -hmm. Now, you you work at Amgen, right?
4: I work at Amgen in the corporate affairs department. Yeah, great,
0: very good. This uh, Kelly McCoy, a lot of you know, Kelly is one of our pastors here. Uh, He oversees our our young adult ministry, RPYA, also our young professional ministry, uh, 2535. Uh, Love Kelly. We often hike together, lunches together. It's
5: been a great journey. Kelly, so good to have you. Hey, thanks uh, for having me. I'm really stoked that we're actually having this conversation uh, in front of everybody uh, at home, and in and, and the, well, the three, four, five, twelve 12 people here. <laughs> um, and I'm actually really excited that I got a chance to really connect with you guys, so thanks. Um, again, my name is Kelly, and yeah, uh, my dad is a black man from Ohio, my mom is a white lady from Encino, and somehow they came together to make this. And <laughs> Uh, But growing up, uh, I I never felt like I was black enough to hang out with the black kids or white enough to hang out with the white kids. So I would just try to be Puerto Rican. uh, And that didn't work out. I I don't speak Spanish. But (laughs) nevertheless, uh, you know, there was a lot of violence at my house. My dad was spending a lot of time in jail for drug addiction and abuse, physical abuse, and also like trafficking prostitutes. And, and growing up, it was just very, very difficult with education and even making friends. Until uh, one day, I uh, was walking home from school, and a street evangelist approached me uh, in the valley, off the corner of Sadaqoy and 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 that's where I gave my life to Jesus in front of Judy's Donuts. <laughs> and uh, it was about a year. It was about you know a year or so later, I was invited to uh, a youth group at the church at Rocky Peak. Mm. That was twenty years ago wow. at least. And long story short, I ended up becoming a pastor here and now I get to oversee young adults, so That's thanks. Awesome.
0: very good, thank you, Kelly. Right, and this is, uh, this is Marshall, and you know, everyone that, that we've met so far, um, I've actually known for a long time. Uh, we've been friends for a long time. Uh, Marshall is a little different. Um, well, not, not that he's different, but uh, that our relationship's different. That uh, I've actually known Marshall for quite, a, I don't know, two or three years at least, because Marshall serves on our safety team, so when we're backstage, we always have people back there uh, kind of security to protect Dre and I so no one kills us after we say something in the service they don't like. And so uh, Marshall's back there and, uh, and as you'll hear, he's in law enforcement. Um, but normally, like our conversation, right, he's a Chicago Bears fan. And so I, I feel badly for him, right? And he's, uh, and I'm of course a, a Los Angeles, it's still hard for me to say that, but a Los Angeles Charger fan, I'm one of the 14. Um, and so he feels bad for me. And so we've commiserated, but through a series of events the last couple of weeks, it was very kind of supernatural. I just felt like God really pulled this together to be, for, for him to be a part of this. And we went out, spent two or three hours for dinner this week, it was a fantastic time. So Marshall, share a little bit about your your story, your journey.
6: Well, thank you for having me, Pastor. Uh, My name is Marshall McLean. Um, I'm in my 24th year now uh, as a police officer. I was born and raised in Pasadena, California. Um, My mother uh, was born and raised here also. My father was from Arkansas. Uh, They got divorced when I was very young. Uh, But the great part is my my mother uh, had eight siblings we all grew up probably in two, three mile radius of each other and have 32 first cousins. Um, so pretty big. From there- yeah, at one point, I remember we were talking <laughs> that they
0: all, you were all at the same school, right? Yeah, pretty like, much.
6: Like, yeah, For a school uh, that was sixth grade through 12th. And so we probably had a, a couple of us in every uh, every grade. So if you run into a McLean or a Culpepper, they're probably my relatives. It's pretty big. Um, so my journey uh with Christ started as a young kid, uh growing up in the church, my mom was actually a Sunday school teacher. Um and then just the experience from my my grandmother, her mother, um she could probably recite the Bible backwards and forwards most of the times and um so from there the experience of a, a, a black AME church, um, going to other types of services and then as I kind of fell away from that, um, and it wasn't until after I got married, uh, my wife was raised Catholic, and once we had our first child, we were looking for a church. Um, the Catholic Church, although it was it was great, it, it, I wasn't growing from it. Uh, my, my wife didn't feel like she was growing as well. We had some friends that attended Rocky Peak. They told us about it. We, we, once we came here and our our daughters, like the kids' ministry, we were pretty much sold. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though I was the youngest of, of three kids brought up in the church, I was never baptized. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I felt comfortable here, I've been here now uh, not quite 10 years. Mm-hmm. But you baptized me. I figured, hey, I need to become a partner. Now I'm a life group leader and um, leading a, um, a group of first responders. It's beautiful.
0: Now talk about your job because you got a fascinating job and, and it brings a unique perspective to our conversation today.
6: Well, um, I think I shared this with the group as well as you. I I, I feel that I've, uh, I'm kind of getting it on all four sides right now. One being a black man, two being a police officer, three being a, a leader of a police union, and then four being a Christian. Mm-hmm. And everywhere there's some type of attack or angle, like, how can you be a police officer being a black man? Mm -hmm. Oh, how can you be a Christian and be part of that? How can you be a union leader that protects bad cops? Mm -hmm. Um, So how we kind of connected, even though uh, for several uh, weeks or years now, I've been behind the scenes keeping you safe. uh, (laughs) It was actually from the incident that you shared in the, the last service about how some officers in the church, and I didn't realize we have a lot of police officers that attend this church um, from the Instagram post. Mm -hmm. I thought it was pretty innocuous when I first saw it. People looked at that in connection with the black square and the protests that were going on. Mm -hmm. And, And as a life group leader talking with our other hosts, they said, well, is there something we can do? You were talking about putting a panel together and I reached out to Neil Johnson and said, hey, uh, I'd like to be a resource for the panel, for the pastor or anything else. You immediately invited me to lunch. We talked and then you said, hey, you want to be a part of the panel? Yeah. And that's how I wound up yeah. here. Yeah.
0: So y- your role is, I understand it, you are like the kind of the, the, the lead officer. I don't know what your title is, but over all the, the police at, um, at L.A. International Airport. Is that, is that right?
6: Yeah, so Los Angeles Airport Police, um, just a quick story. Um, it's probably one of the, the, the largest minority agencies. And part of that has to do with uh, the structure. When Back in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, a lot of minorities who were trying to get on with the Los Angeles Police Department didn't have that, 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 that opportunity.
7: Mm-hmm.
6: Uh, back then, about 8 out of 10 police officers for LAPD were male-white. So as a result of that, if you wanted to be a police officer in Los Angeles, you either had the, the airport, you had the park rangers, or you had the port police. And most people don't know that those are four separate entities in the city of Los Angeles. Since then, uh, LA airport police has grown to be the fourth largest agency in LA County and in the top 10 in the state. And right now, 25% of that agency are African American. At one time there was high as 60%. Mm-hmm. And that came from the mayor of Los Angeles, who at the time was Mayor Tom Bradley, who was a police officer and he was male black. And mm-hmm. so he actually ushered that in as an opportunity for, for African Americans mm-hmm. to to work there. And so uh, now that I'm there, I've been the, the actual union president for going on my 11th year now. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so good. that that's, that's my story. Very good,
0: great. Okay, well, hopefully you, you now have a sense a little bit of kind of the the diversity we have in terms of background where you grew up, uh, you know, whether it's Chicago or Boston or Southern California. Uh, and and also, you know, just the, the difference of experience in terms of your spiritual life, spiritual journeys. Um, I want to delve into, I think one of my goals today, top goals, is just uh, to help us understand, like, like I, was, I see all of you as very... Um, kind of close, like dear brothers and sisters in Christ. And like I was saying before that I think that often uh, being black in America is a challenge. Um, And and I think that uh, often, uh, just speaking for myself, as just sort of a a white man raised in Southern California, uh, it wasn't until about seven or eight years ago, John, when you and I in life group together with some other African American couples, that um, I began to, to realize that your experience, your life experience was very different than, than mine. And it was really like an eye-opening thing for me that really initiated like a, a journey ever since then, that every one of you has played an important part of that, that journey, uh, understanding that. And so I'd like to address this, this situation that happened you know, a couple weeks ago uh, in Minneapolis uh, with George Floyd, this uh, tragic death slash killing slash murder, whatever language you want to use. But um, that's, I know for each of you, that's initiated a journey. For for each of you, when you you saw that happen, you watched it happen, um, it initiated a journey, an emotional journey, a spiritual journey, right? And as we've met this week, uh, we, we, we met on Thursday night for an extended dinner. <laughs> Started at 5.30 and left in dark, sitting outside here. Um, and, and so as we, we talked about that, uh, each of you has had a different journey with that. Some very distinct from others. It's not been like a monolithic experience. But I'd like each of you uh, to speak just maybe briefly to like what your journey has been like when you, you saw that what that's, as a follower of Jesus, you see this happening, I know for many of you it's triggering lifetime experiences, resurfacing things, um, and you're our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so if we're going to bear each other's burdens, we have to understand what those burdens are, right? So maybe you could just share, maybe John, maybe you start us off on that journey and then we'll just, whoever, you know, we'll just see whoever wants to jump into this conversation.
1: Um, for me, um the murder of George Floyd and that is the word I choose to use because that's how I saw that that's what it was. Uh, it, immediately when I saw it I knew something was going to be different and I'm not a, 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 a spokesperson on um, social media. I don't like doing it a lot other than hey how you doing? Congratulations or sorry to hear but you know I don't like it's just, it's a platform. Mm-hmm.
0: But um, for you, it's, it's a, it is a platform because you're an actor. Yeah, and I you, have you've to. Act, you, you're in lots of commercials. You're in mm-hmm. lots of movies. You're in lots of shows. And so you have a sense of platform that many of us wouldn't have in the same way. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and
1: I'm very cautious about how I use that platform. But for several of the deaths that had been transpiring up until this point in the black community with men and women who were being killed, Um, Yeah, because this
0: was sort of the third one in quick succession. Fourth. Fourth. Okay. Fourth.
1: And um, I wanted to write. I wanted to write and use that platform and say, hey, this is how I feel and this is what we should do. And and, uh, every time I got ready to type or every time I got ready to write or every time I got ready to speak, I um, got this check in my spirit and it was very, very obvious. And it was a halt, don't do this, this is, this is not the time, It's not the time. This last time, the check that I got was, speak my heart on it, and it was, I know it was from the Lord. And so when I, I posted, I basically posted my, my feelings. I was enraged, I was angry, I was upset, but I was hurt, I was torn up. And it, for me, it wasn't a, here we go again, it was a, oh my gosh, this one's different. Didn't know what degree that that would be. But instead of writing from my emotions, because we walk by faith, not by sight, feeling, or emotions, in my opinion,
7: Mm
1: -hmm. um, I had to write and be checked by him to write out of a a heart of love of, oh, my gosh, it's been brought to our attention. We see what happened. We know what it is. Mm -hmm. We, We identify it as whatever it is how am I supposed to address this if I have this platform and you won't let me
0: write or hit send? Mm-hmm. And yeah, like, so you had a very clear sense from the Lord that in spite of all that, very clear, anger, sense. but like, I know we've talked about this. It was yeah. very clear that he was saying, no, this is not, not, this is not the time. He said, that's, it's not
1: your fight. Yeah. It's mine. Uh, mm-hmm. But for this one, I wrote, I restructured it after I prayed up because before I hadn't prayed up
7: mm-hmm.
1: and, uh, he said, right, i never got a check. So I hit send, and I went, okay. And then someone said, hey, man, you need to, you need to make this uh, shareable. I didn't know what shareable meant. And so I said, well, what does that mean? Said, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna make it shareable, so everybody can, and I went, that's, that's, not, that's not what he told me to do, hmm. that's not, he said, speak to my circle of influence. Speak to the people that are in my sphere of influence, the people that know me and share your heart. Share your heart out of the compassion and the emotions that are pushed aside but out of empathy for the people that have been wronged here, which are your people. And so I did so, and I told them I can't share this. It's for the people to make a change that I know and that know me. And I expected to hear from many of the people who I know, whether they be believers or not. I heard more from people in London about, hey man, are you okay? I just wanna check with you, are you fine? We know about all the things that are happening over in the States, how are you? And I was like, oh, this is great. Then I had to check myself, is this about me? Mm. Is this about me needing to be coddled or held? And I went, no, no. This is about me needing to know that those people that I trust, those people that I have been down with for so long, those people who stand in the sanctuary and pray with me and sing praises unto the Lord, those people who have those same passionate conversations about rights for not wearing a mask or the NRA, (laughs) where are they? Mm. And that's what hit me harder than anything and where I had to check myself. Mm. But he allowed me to go, maybe they don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe they are afraid. Maybe they aren't aware. Because for so long this has happened and many people haven't had a voice to say anything. I need you to be a bridge builder. Mm. I need you to help educate. I need you to share my heart. Mm. And in doing so, I can't do that out of anger.
7: Mm.
1: I can't do that out of rage because that's not how Jesus did it. Mm. So I had to question myself, Michael, am I a Christian or am I a follower of Christ's teachings? Amen. And that's where I had to come with it. Amen,
0: beautiful.
2: Um, You know, the, the George Floyd, watching the George Floyd slowly die was a tipping point for me um, because um, you know there was Ahmad Arbery and then there was Breonna Taylor and then that was the the Amy Cooper Christian Cooper incident in Central Park and this was happening you know weeks after weeks there was just always something and there's and it, for me it always seems like there is something but it just this time it just seemed like a lot of different somethings you mm-hmm. know and where I'm a captive audience at home because of the the pandemic And so, um, you know, and, and I'm, I'm single, so I'm watching this and I'm talking to God and I'm I'm talking to a couple of friends, but not really talking, not really sharing what I'm really feeling. And then when the, um, just watching him die, it was, it was just too much. Mm. It was too much for me. And... uh, in addition to anger, in addition to to being sad and this this pain in my heart, it was just frustrated just very very frustrating like is this the is it always going to be like this mm-hmm. and in terms of my um, my relationship with God, and I was thirsty to read about um, stories in the Bible where uh, People struggled, you know, mm-hmm. or, or, or there was um, stories related to discrimination. I was s- searching for it, googling and searching for it for scripture, and so I read in Numbers when um, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because Moses married an African woman. Yes, and um, you know the, the part where. God gave Miriam leprosy, in my Mm. mind, and it doesn't say this in the word, in my mind, it's God saying, oh, you you like white so much, I'll make you white, (laughs) okay? Um, Mm. When I I read about in Acts, the Greek believers felt like they were being discriminated against, um, the Greek-speaking believers felt like they were being discriminated against by the Hebrew-speaking believers because their daily food distribution was being affected. Right. And, um, and then they handled it. The, the disciples brought in um, uh, seven people that they all agreed with and some of those people were Greek, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know? And, and then I read in Corinthians about the body and mm-hmm. the parts of the body and the eyes say, I, I, you know, I don't need you. And the, 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 the feet saying, I don't need you. But in the, you know, towards the end, it says when one part suffers, then all the parts suffer alongside it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm just being really fed, and 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 um, I felt the need to send an email, but I don't do that. I mean, I'll send emails, um, as you know.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yes. I've
2: drowned you in emails. He's told me to yes. stop, stop sending you. No, uh-huh. he, did, he that's not true. But but you know, I'll just say that um, I wanted to share my heart, but I was afraid. I can share my testimony. And I've shared my testimony of abuse, but sharing my heart when it comes to racism and discrimination, I've been hurt by that before when yes. I share it with people. Yes. And so I, I wrote it out on an email and I said, really, God, all this, do I want to say this? You know, similar to you. And sent it to people that I normally wouldn't send it to. You know, people, people at church, certainly, um, people at work, people in my personal life, and um, and sent it via text as well. And the response really surprised me. I was surprised that uh, by people saying that they wanted to hear more. Mm. And I don't think, and and this is my opinion, I don't think that that would have been the response last year. Mm -hmm. I think I would have received, that's really too bad. We'll be praying for you. Remember, you're a child of God. You know, the kinds of responses mm. I received in the past. Mm-hmm. This was different.
7: Mm-hmm.
2: Completely, completely different. Yeah. Um, so, so that's how it's been Very good. for me. Yeah. Thank
5: you so much. Yeah. want me to jump in, Kelly? Yeah. yeah. Um, so when this all went down, I, uh, you know, I, again, I was just like, I, I didn't watch the video. I just like, yeah, another, another incident took place. And I'm like, well, I, I really hope this actually shakes something up so that we can actually have a conversation about this in, 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 in the white evangelical church. And then I watched the video, and I then I started doing research, and then my heart started to break. And just like you said about being a part of the body of Christ, and when one part hurts, we all hurt. Mm-hmm. And then I started to feel things that I hadn't felt before, and I started feeling guilty for my lack of empathy in the past and my indifference to a broken system. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then I, I got one text message from a friend in like really far away, just seeing how I was doing with all this because things are starting to ramp up and you know riots are starting to happen and protests. And honestly, I was struggling. Um, and I really f- felt a sense of healing when someone reached out and asked me, but that person was like, <laughs> like in uh, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and and I was disappointed that the people that I call family here at church didn't reach out to me. And granted, I don't necessarily come across like looking like the person that they think would be needing this type of mm-hmm. empathy. But I did, and I was sad. Mm-hmm. And so I brought it up to my life group, and I brought it up to to people here at church. I brought it up to church-going people, not even just people here at church because I have networks outside. And, and I just needed, I needed to do something. I didn't know what to do. But I needed to at least let people know that indifference is still participation. And so I said that and I, and I said, you know, I used some trigger words like systemic racism and I didn't, I didn't even think that was controversial. I thought we just all agreed that that was a thing. And, and then I saw people get defensive and start sending me videos about how racism is apparently gone. And, uh, and that just became hurtful. Mm-hmm. And then I just felt like, man, like, okay, I can see why people are protesting. Mm-hmm. Because there are minority voices that are not being heard, even in the evangelical church, mm-hmm. where I feel like this has been, the evangelical church has been the family that I've always known. Mm-hmm. And then I felt lonely. Yeah. Derek,
0: you and Crystal, like, what's your uh, what's your journey?
3: Um, well, uh, mine personally is it's somewhat different from John's and from Frankie's, um, but similar to Kelly. I was kind of behind the curveball in the sense that uh, I didn't I, I had heard something, but I hadn't watched the video,
7: mm-hmm.
3: and so it it was probably three or four days after uh, the murder. That uh, I think it was either Crystal or my daughter said, "Hey, you, you really need to look at this video." And uh, you know, when I watched it, I watched it by myself, and then uh, Crystal came in, and then I warned her that you know this is pretty graphic. If you're going to watch this thing, it, it's pretty powerful. Uh, and so, and then, and then she watched it with me. Um, but my personal feelings, uh, it was. It, it was like there was an, another day in America. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, for me, it was, okay, another...
0: So, like, for you, I mean, I know because we've talked... It wasn't it, a big emotional no, impact. No, no. Yeah, it it,
3: it's, it's just... just more, yeah, it's another yeah, day. I, I'm, I'm just... I'm... This is... Nor- I, I hate to use the word normal, mm-hmm. but it's just a normal... And so, for me, there was like no anger, there was no anxiety, there, you know, no uh, desire to go out and protest or, or anything like that, um, because it's, I, I think, just over the years, I've just become numb to it. It's normal to it, and so, um, but then once, uh, you know, you have people calling you. Um, and asking you, how are you, and you know what's going on, and you know what's your thoughts on it, and so forth. Uh, I really believe that that the Holy Spirit was just telling me, hey, this is a platform of opportunity, where um, you know, given even this platform, where we're we're giving a, a chance to to kind of share. What's really going on if you're a person of color, mm-hmm. and so I think it's 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 really been uh, at least from the 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 spiritual aspect, it's been an opportunity. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you wanted to share. Yeah,
4: actually, for me, it was a a lot of. This is an everyday occurrence, and um, but watching the video, I was hurt. Mm. Uh, just all I could think of was. His mother, mm-hmm. you know, um, he, and and seeing a different piece of the video where they were showing him calling out and saying he couldn't breathe. That just like I was, I was stunned at the fact that the officer never really moved. He just stayed on his neck as if he was in a trap. That's how it seemed to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but was I angry? I wasn't angry. I was hurt. Mm-hmm. I was just hurt by the fact that this man was saying he couldn't breathe, but it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the cops that were there, the people that were standing there were saying, hey, he, look, he, he he can't breathe. But no one could do anything about mm-hmm. it. Not even the other cops were doing anything about it. So... Um, But for me, again, it it really resonated with me in my mind that, well, okay, another incident has happened. So what are we gonna do about it? Mm -hmm. And for me, I think this this was different because we were all home. Mm -hmm. COVID brought us all to Mm -hmm. the forefront of being in front of our computers or watching TV more than we normally do on our phones. Everybody watched it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a matter of uh, making sure someone else watched it. You were going to eventually catch on. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's probably been the stinger for the nation is, okay, now what? Now mm-hmm. that we know that this is happening to our, to our brothers yeah. and our sisters, now what? Yeah. What are we going to do about it?
0: Yeah. yeah, it's interesting too because just contrasting as we were talking the other night, uh, like, like, John, you were sort of in a spot of, hey, where are the people reaching out to me? You know, like, I, where are my brothers and sisters? You know, Kelly, later in the week, at developed in you. Where, where are, But for you two, it was very different. Why don't you share
4: about that? Uh, well, for, for us, for Derek and I t- together, we, we have many, many white friends uh, for all my life. And... I thought it was a little strange that I had my white friends calling me and trying to check to make sure that our relationship was okay. And that kind of put me back a bit. I thought, you don't need to check Mm. to find out that we're okay. I love you. Mm. You're my sister. Mm. And what happens in the world? Doesn't affect my relationship with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, granted, if, if it were a different conversation and it was more of, I just wanted to ch- see how you were doing, and, but, but that, that second notion of, well, I just want to make sure we're okay, mm-hmm. um, I didn't understand that. Yeah. I didn't understand. But I, I made it very clear and shared with the people who reached out to me mm-hmm. in that manner was, guys. We love each other, mm-hmm. and and yes, we need we as brothers as as um, brothers and sisters in Christ, we do need to reach out to each other and connect, but not on the the uh, preference that it was all about whether or not we're okay mm-hmm. with each other.
0: Yeah, good, so. good. Derek, you want to add to that at all? Um,
3: just that, uh, similar to Crystal, we 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 I think we both just found it very interesting that that our white friends were kind of calling, calling us up. It, it just, it, it was very interesting in, in an odd way. It just seemed like why, I mean, we're, we're close friends. Why are you calling me mm-hmm. to see on this issue? It's like, um, I got the impression that they may have felt guilty that over our relationship, the period of our relationship, that They may have said something that may have rubbed me the wrong way, and now I just want to make sure that we 're still okay and it 's like uh no we're
0: you know, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it was so it was good uh, for me, you know, just uh, as we met Thursday night talking, I think one of the complexities of this is that uh often we don 't know how to respond well like I, I think one of the beautiful things about the situation is. I'm hoping this creates a space to have more conversation about race, you know. And we'll get there in, in just a minute. But um, it's interesting because I think for many people in our culture, I've heard this within our church, outside of our church, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. And if I say something, it may be the wrong thing, and if I don't say something, it may be the wrong thing. But even in your this experience here, you can have a variety of kinds of what what you would like to, to hear or what would be encouraging. Frankie, you want to jump into that? I did,
2: I, I, I do, because I've been also been having conversations with, with my white brothers and sisters and uh, very similar, um, not necessarily questioning about our relationship, but um, uh, and, and as an educator, I, I just saw these, these times as, as teachable moments yes. and them wanting to, um, there was a sense of guilt and I didn't say don't feel guilty um, because, as an educator, I wouldn't. That's, that's not my way. But I said, "Well, let's let's talk about why do you feel that way," and it wasn't necessarily about slavery, but it was about. Um, you know, a variety of reasons. Maybe because they participated in something or they were a bystander to something or they um, were oblivious but accepted the fact that they were oblivious and complacent. Mm-hmm. You know, and so we, we, we talked through that and we, talked, we would talk about what would you do in the future, you know mm-hmm. how would you do that differently, talking mm-hmm. it out? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I enjoyed the conversation yeah, really yeah. yeah, and I was honest too about me, mm-hmm. the, um, you know, and, and I think that th- that needs to be a part of this conversation, is that I have bitterness and resentment in my heart that, that I am working through and dealing with as a reaction to what my life has been like as, yeah. a, as a black woman, you right. know And so um, it's been very cathartic for me in having these conversations Mm. and in um, being in a protest and and just sitting there so emotional that I couldn't even protest. I could only just sit there and do this Mm -hmm. because I saw all of the white people that were fighting for me. That's what it felt like, Mm. you know? Mm. Um, So it gave me such hope. But I agree. I, I think that this is a great opportunity for us to really open up and dive in Mm -hmm. with our brothers and sisters and take their hand and say, it's gonna be okay. We're not gonna do this right. Mm -hmm. You're gonna say the wrong thing. I'm probably gonna say the wrong thing too, but that's okay. Because that's the only way we're gonna be able to do this.
0: Amen. Really good. I'll be quick. Yeah, sure. I promise I'll be quick. (laughs) That'd be be a new thing for me, brother. No, (laughs) 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 i
1: I, like you, was the same way. And and the few folks who did come and talk to me, Or or reach out and say, I'm just checking in. It was was like water on a hot day. Mm. It was just a salve. Mm. And it was um, such an empathetic thing. It was just like, oh, Mm. I'm safe. Mm. I can trust. Beautiful. I can breathe. Yeah. There was a, a brother of mine who came over. He said, man, I just want to talk to you. I don't know about this, but I didn't know what to say. I said, cool, just, and I I couldn't say, say anything, but I was just loving the fact that he wanted to come over and talk. Mm. Come to find out, he said, you know, I just found out, he did his DNA and found out that he had a black man in his genealogy, Mm. and he went, I know, because of the time that I had this relationship exposed in my family, it was during the time when my Forefathers and my grandfathers, and my great, 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 great—they owned slaves, mm. and he just started bawling. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. "I don't want you to feel guilty
7: mm-hmm.
1: unless you did something. Mm-hmm. I want you to understand you can't take on the guilt from what's been done way back when. Yeah. If we don't establish a relationship of communication out of love." and he was a believer, so it was a much easier conversation to come through from the mindset of the mind of Christ, Mm -hmm. then we can't start anything. Mm -hmm. And hopefully out of our conversation, then the healing can start for you to now have Mm -hmm. that conversation with someone else. Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean by doing that, educating and being a bridge builder and not being uh, upset when people ask questions, because to me, when people, I don't know what to say. But you know me
0: mm-hmm.
1: was my biggest thing.
0: That's good. Yeah, you know, I think uh, you know one of one of the things that's so important is you know the Bible says, "Weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice." Right, and and I think sometimes we're too quick to get into debates or arguments or discuss social theory or or whatever. That sometimes what we need with one another is just to be with one another, right? And there'll be time later to discuss, like, like John, you and I had just some really great heart-to-heart discussion this week as we looked at the George Floyd situation. How did you see that? How do I see that? And I remember part of it was saying, hey, be patient with me, John, but let me push back. I want to tell you what I saw. I want to see what you saw. And it's just so healthy there's a time and a place for that. But that time and the place is not always when someone's in pain, right? Sometimes we just need to sit and be with one another. Just give me a hug. <laughs> yeah, give, give me a hug. Right? Just be together, yeah. <laughs> if
1: I'm at a funeral and I'm crying and I'm grieving because my dad died, mm-hmm. don't go, mm, I wonder if he died because, come over and mm-hmm. just give me a hug, man. Yeah, yeah. amen. You know? Yeah. And it's, it's not a personal thing for me, but... Have empathy. Yeah. And then have empathy for the people you know. Now, you may not know another black person. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Get to know somebody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Reach out. Make yourself vulnerable.
6: Yeah. Good.
1: Like, we have had to protect ourselves for so long yeah. and walk in a certain way. I'm telling my sons, put your hands. If you get pulled over, you got to do this. It's not just about the cops that I have to educate my sons mm-hmm. when they get pulled over. Mm-hmm. It's about neighborhoods that they go to, how mm-hmm. to carry themselves in stores, mm-hmm. You know what time they can go.
7: Mm-hmm.
1: I know you, we talked about the story of my dear friend. Yeah. He was over this morning. Yeah, He had a job. He's a stuntman. He had a job. This this just
0: happened this week, right?
1: This just happened uh, last week.
0: Okay, last week, yeah.
1: He had a job, and he said, I had to get from New Orleans to Atlanta, which means he has to drive through Mississippi and Alabama before he lands to where he has to get to. He had to calculate the times that he left He had to calculate how much gas was in his car, because if he stopped on the wrong gas station or in the wrong town, he may not be able to get back in his car. Mm -hmm. It didn't have nothing to do with the cops, it had to do with people. Mm -hmm. So we all have these things that we have to make sure that we don't get in the path of that bullet. And I know a lot of people don't know that. I know a lot of people say, well, tell me, I want to hear your story. Well, we tell our stories amongst ourselves because Mm -hmm. we're empathetic with each other. Mm -hmm. And we've said our stories in so many different ways to other people, and they haven't been received Mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. So now you ask me my story, and I tell you my story. Praise God that you can hear me, but it shouldn't take somebody to tear stuff down Mm -hmm. for you to finally hear Mm -hmm. your friend or someone you know that's black or a a person of color, it shouldn't take this to happen for you to finally go, how can I help? How can I hug you? Mm -hmm. How can I meet you? Mm -hmm. What can I do? Mm -hmm. But here we are. Mm -hmm. So now what are we going to do? My brothers and sisters of Rocky Peak community, my brothers and sisters of the valley, my brothers and sisters who stand for the same Lord and Savior, With me and everybody up here, what are we gonna do now? Because communication was started. So let's talk Mm -hmm. in love.
0: Amen. Yeah. You know, one of the things that it's done to me that just really struck me the last couple weeks is that, you know, when you have something that's causing you pain in your life, right, that's chronic pain. That's uh, an ongoing issue in your life. You share it with people you love, right? You share it maybe in your life group. You share it with your family. You share it with your friends. How's that going? But what's so interesting to me is that, as I've learned from all of you and others, that when you are uh, black, there is a chronic pain in your life, and yet we're very slow to talk about that. Like John, you said you will talk about it amongst yourselves, but we're very slow. Um, And I think this does us all such a disservice because what that does is it means like, like I get why you don't bring it up. Like that makes perfect sense. But, but if I don't know, I can't respond. See, like, if I don't know you're carrying that burden, and that's why this, this journey has been so powerful for me, this being with you in life group, our emails, our talks with elders, our hikes together, our dinner together. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm thinking, like, this is America. This is Southern California. We've had a black president. Like, like I was completely oblivious to the pain And the challenge that y'all deal with every day. And so maybe we could switch gears and I'm gonna start with Marshall because I think it's the last one. You can speak in the last one or or this one. But I just wanna talk a little bit about your life experience. Like what's it been like to grow up in our country as a person of color? Um, How does that impact your life on a daily basis? Uh, How much pain does that create? Like how much chronic pain are you dealing with? And help us to understand what that looks like because I think that truly so many of us just, we just don't know. Like we, we, we look around, you know, we, it feels like the world's really changing. But through my friendships with all of you, I know there's a lot more to be done. There's a lot going on. so. Maybe you could speak to that either on the last one, how you responded, you know, what, to to the to the George Floyd situation, how you processed that, or this, or combine them, take it wherever you want.
6: Okay, thank you. Um, I'll start with the George Floyd. Um, I've always been a analytical thinker, so when it first happened, when I saw the video, my initial thought was in rage. Um, and I'm, I had to process that too, is why am I feeling this way? Is it because I'm a police officer? Is it because I'm desensitized? Because I've seen other videos. I saw another video with, with actually uh, a white officer uh, in Dallas, officers, who actually killed a, a white person, similar type scenario, and it was 13 minutes. And it was actually worse. And Just, that was like four years ago. Or something? It was four years ago in Dallas and they were mocking the individual. And what I saw between the two videos is the lack of compassion for, mm-hmm. for people. Mm-hmm. And regardless, some people will say it murder. Some people will say it killed them. Some people will say something else, but the commonality on all of those is the lack of compassion from the police officers mm-hmm. for someone that they're serving. Mm-hmm. Um, what troubled me the most about the George Floyd video is the look on the police officer's face with his hands in his pocket, and it was equivalent to him step, stepping on an ant. He just had he, – he was just – it was just lack of compassion at mm-hmm. all. He didn't care whether the guy died or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at it from a position – not just as a black man, but as a police officer, I'm going, why aren't you arresting him? Why aren't you putting him into custody? What the heck's going on? Mm-hmm. And so as that was happening and talking to more of the friends and, and, and the, the law enforcement community is, is typically standoffish of other folks that are not in the law enforcement community, anyways. Mm-hmm. So it's a weird space to be in when we talk about cops in general. There's about 800,000 cops in this country uh, the majority of them are white male, so there 's a pocket of minorities in there, and sometimes you you know similar to what kelly was was talking about is where do you fit in that world um, even the the old and remake show of of shaft was you know i was where where am i am i am I too black for the cops? am I too blue for the brothers and that mm-hmm. kind of thing would would, would always happen mm-hmm. um, so with with me. Processing that, the job that I'm in, talking to others, it really took me stepping outside of that comfort zone and talking to other people outside of that law enforcement sphere Mm -hmm. to really see how people see us in terms of the law enforcement profession. There's a lot of rage going on right now on both sides of this issue, Mm -hmm. both from the, the law enforcement community at what occurred the law enforcement community as how they're being perceived, and the, the the black community as how do you not hear what we've been telling you all along.
7: Mm-hmm.
6: What I shared with Frankie earlier is what I have to to do and how I process things. And I still remember this conversation with the other Niels Johnson who said, you know, oftentimes I hear God speak and it sounds a lot like my wife. <laughs> so my wife actually said, you need to unplugged because I was getting fed with all these other things and getting pulled in a bunch of different directions. And I wasn't really sleeping. And she says, if you're getting prepared for something, you need to rest. And you, and again, Niels Johnson, you know, be still and know that I am God. Right. And so it was just really hitting me. And every time I started to get upset, something else would come in my view to calm me back down. Mm -hmm. And and so what I was sharing with, 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 with Frankie earlier was that I know that my God is a God of love and I know that my God's not the type of person that says, I told you. So it's more like, it's not your time right now. You know, just stand by, I'm getting you ready for something. And what I kept hearing, I know wasn't God. It was, I told you. So I told you cops were like that. Mm-hmm. I told you that, that, that this is going on. And those types of messages were coming. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I unplugged and relaxed, I started hearing a clear voice mm. that look we're all in this world together. We live in a violent world. It was, this country was built on violence. Police officers are from society.
7: Mm-hmm.
6: So you cannot separate what police officers are and what they do from society mm-hmm. and to try to focus it back on if we're really going to make this place better and it was a message you said several messages ago that if someone outside of church came to church they knew you in an outside setting and they looked down and saw you there would they be shocked that you were a christ follower Mm -hmm. and that's what kind of centered me is Mm -hmm. if someone's running into me outside of work and they came to church and saw and they were shocked that i was a christ follower then that's a problem Mm -hmm. and so When you have police officers who are getting upset because they feel they're being attacked, and rightfully so, I get that, but it also has to be a situation where you go, okay, why am I feeling this way? Why am I feeling like I'm being attacked when I'm not that person? I'm not racist, I didn't do that, I wasn't there. So those are some soul searching that I think everybody has to do and how we actually get together and come together as a law enforcement profession, as the black community, as the church, mm. and mm. really look to where these people are here to protect us. Mm. These people are Christ followers. These people do have our best good and, and get behind all the noise that's going on right now because that's not coming from God,
0: Yeah, clearly. Amen. Amen. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, we're gonna be doing, Lord willing, it seems like every time I have a plan, the Lord's calling an audible right now. But, um, you know, next weekend we're going to be kicking off this series on spiritual warfare. And I, I just see our nation like behind the scenes in the unseen realm. It feels like there is a major war going on, you know, beyond. And uh, so I feel like the timing is really so good to, to delve into that. You know, how do we take our stand in the midst of a this chaos that's going on. It's, but we see the chaos on, on the physical level, right? But there is a war in the heavens, I believe, you know, going on that's really uh, trying to, so how do we stand as believers? But Frankie, um, can you share a little bit of your experience as a black woman growing up in Boston? Just a little bit, this question of what's it like to be black in our culture? How does that impact you and your life personally? I think it's going be super helpful for us.
2: Yeah. I just want to quickly add that I agree with you, Um, and I believe that racism is spiritual warfare. Mm -hmm. It is meant to break us down, create division, dissension, all of that. So it's wonderful that that study is coming. Um, I grew up in an environment that was um, uh, um, lots of minorities. There there were Haitians, and I'm I'm a daughter of immigrants, so I'm Haitian and Dominican. Um, there were uh, Puerto Ricans and and they were Irish, white and and um, blacks, African Americans, and Caribbean, and so on and so forth. And um, I went to Catholic school, and the Catholic school was pretty diverse. the The, the kids were diverse. The teachers were all white uh, for the most part. And think about it. Um, and it was interesting because uh, you know, on the one hand, I was, accepted. And on the other hand, I wasn't, you know, it, it was you know, because I was a bookworm, because I liked to read. Uh, I was told by the other kids, you're trying to be white. What do you think? You're, are you better than me? Hmm. You know? Um, and so, you know, they, you, you have that. And then in certain parts of Boston, I knew, we knew not to go, you know, certain times of the day, you know, mm-hmm. after a certain five o'clock, do not be at that part of, of Boston. Um, so, growing up, I was called the N-word plenty of times. I mean, it, that, that's just, I mean, I hate to say it like, I was called the N-word, but yes, you know. Um, and, and other names as well. When I came to, I moved to California, when my family moved to California, uh, it was a long time until the next time I was called the N-word. And that was, I think, right after President Obama was, was, was elected and I was going grocery shopping and this car stopped right in front of me, rolled down his window and called me the N-word. And it was, it was stunning, it was strange um, because I hadn't heard that word in a long time and I went, oh yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, mm. forgot about that. Mm. Um, and you know, just, and this is my, y- you said this already, but I just wanna make sure I repeat that, that our experiences are so different. There are yeah. people in the black community that don't even think that this is a, a for them it's not an issue, it's not a problem. Um, But I am treated differently. And because I am treated differently and because I want, I make it my, and this is sad to say, but I make it my job pretty much to help white people feel comfortable. So I will, um, you know, and this is really based off of whatever things that I've heard in the past. I'm typically soft-spoken, but if I speak up in a meeting, I've had, you know, one person pull me off to the side, you sounded really angry. You know, maybe you should kinda tone down your voice. I've never heard them do that with other people in the room, but with me, I get called about that. You should smile more, Frank. You have such a beautiful smile. When you smile, your face lights up. When you don't smile, you look angry. Okay, I need to smile some more. Um, I watch what I wear. I live in an environment that's predominantly white, and so when I leave to go grocery shopping, I will wear a college shirt, says, you know, Sun, harbor, whatever, uh, so that I look like a non-threatening college student just going to get some gas. You know, um, when we had to start wearing masks, that was a stor- source of anxiety for mm-hmm. me because uh, I go out for, for jogs and walks and I have my visor on, I have my mask, so all you can see is my eyes. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm thinking, what are they going to think when they see me? Are they going to, is this going to make them feel more scared? You know, and so, so it, it's this constant checking, checking, checking um, that I do. And, you know, I mean, I can hear friends saying, you don't have to do that. Just relax, you don't have to do that. But I do it because I feel like I have to do that. I feel like it's it's, it's expected of me and I don't want the the, the other, other people to feel uncomfortable. So by the end of the day, there are days when I come home after having a long day I have my coat on, I sit on the couch, I fall asleep because I'm so exhausted. I'm an introvert on top of that, Mm -hmm. introvert. Uh, It is exhausting having to think through everything.
7: Mm.
2: And that's uh, uh, one of the wonderful things about having these conversations over the past couple of weeks is that it has been so liberating. It has Mm. been so freeing to be able to share, to be able to say when someone says, um, I don't see color, I don't see... And for me to be able to say to them, that's an issue. And just be straight up. Last year would have been like, well, let's, let's, let's try to, let's, let's look at it in another way. No, straight up, that's an issue. Because I need for you to see all of me. And the reason why you say you don't see color is because you don't want to see the fact that I'm black. And you don't want to hear about what it's like for me to be black.
7: Mm.
2: And, and so uh, I was saying this to a friend. With color blindness comes color deafness and and I've got to be careful because I have friends who are deaf that I love that I in the that are uh, deaf that I love and are in the deaf community so I don't want to minimize that experience of being deaf and 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 the oppression that they experience but it is back to what you were saying when someone embraces that idea of of color blindness it dulls their senses because they choose to stay in the dark and then they don't want to hear about what I have to say about what colorblindness means, you mm. know, because I've shared this before, you know, but it's almost as if now it's, it's just this first time. Why didn't you tell me? I've told you this before. Mm. How come you never, re- I've talked about it before. You didn't hear me.
7: Mm.
2: You weren't open to receive it. Mm. And that's the, the, the horrible thing about this color blindness ideology it needs to be thrown away it mm-hmm. does not work it does not exist god created color mm-hmm. he created this and i'm a uh you know a god's creation so please embrace the, my color yeah. if we can embrace the color of flowers then we can we should be able to to see each other and see Amen. each other's color
0: let me uh jump in we're uh we're running out of time we've actually already run out of time but I wanna go long. I wanna go long and I hope you'll be patient with this very unique opportunity. It's a unique time. I know, yeah, we'll just go on for hours. You know, They may shut us off though, right? That's a bad thing. If they're at church, it's harder to leave, but at home, you're gone. Um, but uh, so I wanna to begin to wrap this up, but a couple more things. Derek, I'd like to ask you if you'd speak to this this issue of just as a black man, like how is life different from you then just in kind of normal everyday life. Um, maybe just share uh, just, just real quickly, just a few examples and then I wanna come back for all of us and just say real quickly, so where do we go from here? Like wh- where do we, we move forward? We've talked some about the importance of listening, of weeping with those who weep, of having these conversations, of building relationships with people of uh, different racial backgrounds, whatever it is. Um, but I, I want to take a shot at, like, what what can we do? So, but Derek, why don't you start us off just by... Yeah,
3: um, so uh, it, it's kind of very similar to a Frankie, uh, but I think as a black man, uh, there's other aspects uh, to it. Um, as John was saying, uh, as a black man, uh, you have to be cautious or careful or aware of your surroundings at certain times of the day, certain neighborhoods. Um, When you go to uh, a store, um, it's quite often that you're followed. Uh, If you're making purchases uh, with a credit card and it's a, a, a significant purchase, uh, you know the the person in front of you who's uh, white uh, won't be carded, but but you know you'll be asked for for your ID. Um, uh, you're, you're, you're at least for me personally. Um, I'm I'm always thinking that am I being chosen because I'm the token that's being needed for. Uh, a, a particular position or, or a job. Um, I think that's probably what kind of comes to mind. That's for yeah. That's probably. Yeah,
0: I think, I think what I will be important for us as a church is this will be more the starter of a conversation, right, because the, these uh, are conversations that I've had with many of you. Help me understand, you know, be, be patient with me as a guy who's not aware. Help me understand what that's like for you. Uh, John, I ask you, hey, going through this thing with your family, what's, you know, this, this whole, uh, you know, this death uh, in Minneapolis? The way, like, like I, one of the questions I ask, how are your sons, you have four sons, how are your sons? And you walk me through uh, what, you know, just for me to hear, how is your family processing and I think you know we're so set up here at Rocky Peak that we're in life groups with one another, uh, we're in relationship, and this is such a beautiful thing, just to say, hey, let's not ignore this issue or assume it's okay, but just help me understand what it's like to be you, right? Like sometimes, sometimes someone will ask me, I can't imagine what it's like to be pastor of a large church. Like how are you doing? What's that like for you, right? And it's sort of refreshing sometimes, right? And, and I think that that's just a small example from my life. You've got a much bigger example, you know, from, from your lives. And so I just want to encourage us as a church that we would be continuing this conversation And we would be looking to to be listening and learning. This, This would not be the end. But before we wrap up, I just want to take, I mean, we're seriously way over, but like five minutes and say, in addition to what we've already talked about, how do we move forward? And I'm not talking about moving forward politically or moving forward sociologically, but I'm saying, hey, as your brothers and sisters, that many times as black brothers and sisters, you've been that person by the side of the road. And as a church, we have often been the person walking by the other side. So how do we as your brothers and sisters come alongside in these issues, whether it's in an ongoing way or especially in times of crisis, and how do we bear your burdens? How how do we say, hey, I don't want you to go through that alone. I know we've talked about a lot of things, but I wanna give you a shot just to say, can you give us some counsel?
3: It'll yeah. be very quick, um, you know. As a church, as one body, uh, we're all family. Uh, this is just my opinion. I, I, I think that it would be helpful, you know. We've all shared stories and experiences. I think that if someone would would just take out the time and to think about a day of being a person of color. Mm-hmm. What that would be like? How different would that be for you mm-hmm. to walk into a store and be followed mm-hmm. because you—you know—they're thinking you're going to steal something, or um, you know, just being treated differently uh, from what you're—you know—being normal. Hey, you can't do this. Because, I, just think about that, and, mm-hmm. and you know, we've all given a, examples, but I think that would—you know—I I think it'd be, yeah. it would be
6: helpful. Mm-hmm. Great,
0: Marshall. Do you want to?
6: Well, when he said that, I was thinking about a movie called White Man's Burden where everything was, it was like an alternate reality mm-hmm. where most of the cops were black and everybody mm-hmm. else was white
7: mm-hmm. and everything mm-hmm.
6: was happening differently. Uh, but but I I don't want this to be missed um, if we're going to talk about really being the Good Samaritan mm-hmm. and, and like what my brother down here said, that, y- you know, you got to love on people, not mm-hmm. try to articulate what, what just occurred because I, I do believe that we have this opportunity to use the, what what was meant for evil to be used for good. Amen. Because it was it was the perfect storm with COVID, with no sports, nothing to distract anybody other than what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the the fact that uh, George Floyd had four public funerals, and the fact that we still haven't been able to open churches.
7: Mm-hmm. That
6: to me is the evil at work with what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't want this to be missed that we have this opportunity to really lean in on each other and really shape the way we the way we want we want the church to be viewed the way we want law enforcement to be viewed the way we want our communities to be viewed going forward. Amen.
5: Kelly, did you want? To? Yeah. Um, as far as certain things that we can or can't do, and actually to move forward and actually do something, um, uh, first of all. There's a distinct piece that comes with following Jesus where I'm not looking for ultimate justice on earth. Mm -hmm. You're right, I don't want ultimate justice. I don't want justice from God, right? Because I know what I deserve. I want mercy, but mercy and justice don't live in the same lane. Right? And so it's easy when we see injustice happen to point our fingers. And so we need to definitely lead with empathy, lead with a lament. There's laments in the Bible for a reason. And God wept, Jesus wept for a reason. And we can join him as he weeps over the situation. And I have wept myself. And, but as a result, now that I've cared, I can cry. Right. You cannot cry with your brother unless you care and you cannot care unless you find out. But the reality is, is that if we have been indifferent, right, read a book, you know, Mm -hmm. Google it and realize the level of indifference that maybe has been in your life or complacency that's been in your life. And now it's time to care. And then it's time to cry with a brother or sister. Amen. Amen.
0: Well, I think I'm going to wrap it up there. I think it's funny how this uh, live stream works. It uh, actually cut us off at a certain point. Um, But I I just want to thank you so much, uh, all of you, uh, not only for your friendship, but just being willing to come and share a little bit of your journey. I think it's been powerful. And uh, uh, I I don't know, there's a risk factor here. You're being very vulnerable with us as a church, and and we appreciate that. Um, So... What I wanna do is talk about maybe some next steps. I'm gonna, gonna get up, uh, talk to our, our church. Uh, thank you for, for coming. Um, I'm gonna go ahead, when I talk with them, you guys can go off, we'll, we'll get ready for our final worship song, but thank you so much for coming. And so, as we wrap this up, uh, just a couple of things that I wanna challenge you, like what could be a next step for us as a church? And the, the first step I wanna encourage is, you know, this week is our first summer study. And uh, we wrote it to go with the last two weeks of this discussion. There's an incredible message on there by Dr. Tony Evans, Dre mentioned him last week, one of the foremost uh, black pastors in America speaking on this topic of Jesus and race and reconciliation. It is fantastic. We have written a study to intertwine with his teaching. So the passages you will study in the Bible or ones he will refer to on this issue. I'd really encourage you, even if you don't plan to do the summer study every week, that you would do it this week. And then secondly, um, I just wanna encourage you that this is not on your note sheet, but there's a beautiful conversation, easy to find on YouTube. There's a white pastor in the South named Stephen Furtick, and he has a great like over an hour conversation in their church service last weekend with a black pastor named John Gray. And that's super easy, just go to, to YouTube, just put in Stephen Furtick, F-U-R-T-I-C-K uh, and John Gray interview, it'll pop up right there, hour and seven minutes but I would highly recommend that you watch that. It's sort of just a next step is God is working in your life. And so I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna go into worship. We'll see, you may get cut off in the midst of it, but we wanna kick this off singing this beautiful song, New Wines. So let's pray. Oh, Father, we're so thankful for an amazing time together, just hearing from our brothers and sisters that we know and love and trust, just sharing their firsthand experience and What's it like to follow you as a black person in our culture in a way that we can come alongside and love and walk with them and together build this community of reconciliation, this kingdom. And so we pray, God, that you would meet us now as we celebrate the new life you give us through the crushing of grapes, the new wine that comes. We pray that out of this painful time in our culture that you would bring beautiful new wine. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.